1: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax-certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying
2: should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure. I am your host, Michael Ian Black, and... I am back now from my journalistic excursion, the excursion which I described in the last episode. And while I was excursioning, so were Jude and the simple country wench Arabella, who had been excursioning through hither and thither in Mary Green, And their excursion led to a kiss couple kisses and then Jude showed up at Arabella's house after the date and the neighbors were all there and everybody was like hey hey Jude you're getting married hey Jude hey hey Jude here have a little uh, grappa and here's a little here's a little uh, cannoli to celebrate and Jude was like what the fuck is going on here Like, I did not intend for this to be a whole thing. Like, I was just going on a little stroll about with this chick I just met, and now suddenly everybody's acting like we're getting married. So he, you know, he's like, eh, yeah, thanks for the grappa, but I got to go. And then he's kind of walking home, and within minutes, within minutes of being freaked out by this idea that he's going to be betrothed, she re enters his thoughts. And he's like, ah, well, you know, maybe, I mean, you know, I'm living, Hey, I'm living here for the first time. You know, I'm not, I'm not hunchbacked over my desk, studying the new Testament, like a nerd for the first time, you know, like I'm doing something here. Like, this is great. Like I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of digging this chick and I'm kind of digging love and, you know, maybe I was just kind of fooling myself with this Doctor of Divinity thing. Maybe I was just a fool in myself into thinking life is one thing when in fact it's another. The last time I read, you know, it concluded with him saying it was better to love a woman than to be a graduate or a parson, I or a pope. So he's saying, like, I'd rather, like, have this girl than to be uh, the pope, you know? than to be the Pope. Like, you know, he's just, he's a young guy and he's falling in love and it's kind of sweet, right? But we know, you and I know, dear listener, you and I know this is fated to go bad. Like we know, right? That something is not going to work out here. And I look, I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for these kids. Like Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson, you know, I guess they're getting married. They, they've known each other for three weeks. They're getting married. And by the time this episode hits, maybe that will already be over. Maybe not. I don't know. But they just announced, hey, you know, We've known each other three weeks. We're getting married. That's essentially what's going on with Jude and Arabella, Pete and Ariana. Like they're doing the they're doing the 2018 version of that. Like they've known each other what three weeks, and now they're like, yeah, let's you know throw caution to the wind. We're going to get hitched. Everything's going to be great. And I'm rooting for them. I'm like, that's great. Like I really hope it works out. I know how hard you guys have been working on your careers, and you're you're kind of setting that aside for a moment. You know. In a way, for love. And you're sort of opening yourself up to a a great disappointment with love. And you're maybe rushing headlong into something that you're maybe not necessarily prepared for because you don't even fucking know each other. And that's what's going on here with Jude. I mean, there has been no formal proposal of marriage, but let's, you know, let's call a spade a spade. It's where it's heading. Like, I don't know how you got, I don't know how girls got pregnant back then, whether it was just through holding hands or maybe the kiss, you know, maybe it's one of those very spermy kisses, but I suspect, and I don't know, again, I haven't read this book. I suspect a baby's going to be coming. I suspect... All kinds of terrible things are gonna happen and you know, Jude's gonna be screwed. And all I know is about this book is that, you know, it's kinda sad. That's all I know. So I don't know if he's if he insperminated her with his tongue when they were kissing, or if there was even tongue play. I don't know how he's gonna end up trapped with this girl or she's gonna end up trapped with him. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Ariana and Pete, but I just know that these rushed marriages tend to not work out great. In my own case, my wife and I, we knew each other for four years, I think, before we got married. Uh, and that's also not going great. But I don't, have, I don't have the excuse of it rushing, of rushing headlong into it. I'm kidding. It's been 20 years. We've never been happier, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so now I'm going to uh, read the book. You're caught up on the story. And Jude is walking home, his head a-spinning, love palpitating his heart, and I read. When he got back to the house, his aunt had gone to bed, and a general consciousness of his neglect seemed written on the face of all things confronting him. He went upstairs without a light, And the dim interior of his room accosted him with sad inquiry. The room itself is looking at him and going, Where have you been? I have been waiting for you all night. Were you with somebody else? Just tell me, Jude. Were you with somebody else? I need to know. There lay his book open, just as he had left it. And the capital letters on the title page regarded him with fixed reproach in the gray starlight, like the unclosed eyes of a dead man. (laughs) And then there's that little Greek thingy that I talked about before. Like I, I already looked it up at one point. It's some thingy. And the dead man is looking at him accused. J'accuse, Jude. J'accuse. I accuse you of unfaithfulness, of infidelity, of neglecting your studies. Jude had to leave early next morning for his usual week of absence at lodgings, and it was with a sense of futility. That he threw into his basket upon his tools and other necessaries, the unread book he had brought with him. He kept his impassioned doings a secret almost from himself, Arabella on the contrary, made them public among all her friends and acquaintance. Why, Arabella, you little such and such, going out, telling everybody, you'll never guess who I was with. You'll never guess who I a-kissed. You'll never guess whose spermy tongue made its way into my mouth. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't like Arabella. I really don't. And I suspect Thomas Hardy didn't intend for us to like Arabella. And so far, there are no sympathetic female characters in this book. His aunt is terrible. Arabella is kind of terrible. Uh, Arabella's stepmother doesn't even have a face. So I don't know what's up with Thomas Hardy, but he doesn't seem to love the ladies. Even though he wrote Tess of the D'Urbervilles, right? So, he, I mean, he wrote it. he wrote a main female character. I, I read it in sophomore year of high school, uh, and I, I'm lying to you even as I say those words. I didn't read it. I was supposed to read it and didn't. I got so bored. And uh, we watched the movie in class, and the movie was boring. And I, I couldn't tell you a thing about it. So, that'll probably be next season of Obscure, if there is one. So is going around wagging her tongue, and he goes, uh, so back to the story, retracing by the light of dawn the road he had followed a few hours earlier under cover of darkness with his sweetheart by his side, he reached the bottom of the hill where he walked slowly and stood still. He was on the spot where he had given her the first kiss. As the sun had only just risen, it was possible that nobody had passed there since. Jude looked on the ground and sighed. He looked closely and could just discern in the damp dust the imprints of their feet as they had stood locked in each other's arms. She was not there now, and... And then there's a little, uh, like this is a phrase, it's in quotes, it goes, And the embroidery of imagination upon the stuff of nature so depicted her past presence that a void was in his heart which nothing could fill. So, the sun has now set and risen on this spot, the spot where Jude had first kissed Arabella, and he can still see, in a sense, the ghostly imprint of where they had been, uh, much the way the atomic bomb at Hiroshima had uh, imprinted forever the shadows on the people obliterated by the nuclear blast. And that is what I think is going to happen to Jude. Should we take a break? I think we
0: should.
2: FOJs, as we like to call fans of Jude, have you been thinking to yourself, this show is so good? Michael, this show is so good. How can I help it get to the top of the iTunes charts? Of course you've been thinking that. Enough of those pod save everything, guys. Enough. It's Jude's time to shine. And with the many dozens, the many dozens of you, upwards of two or three dozen. We can harness that enthusiasm and make this happen. First, if you don't already, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. Second, if you love an episode, how about that Pig Guts episode? Because that was hot. Share it on social media or even bring Jude up at your next office party. Nothing says I'm fun like talking about a Thomas Hardy novel no one has ever heard of. And if you don't already, follow me on Twitter, where you'll get the most up-to-the-minute news on current Jude happenings. I'm guessing in the next chapter, Jude and Arabella attend the On the Run 2 tour. See? I know. I know. I know how it works with a writer like Thomas Hardy. I get it, guys. I get what the kids like. They like Thomas Hardy. So subscribe, share, or follow, and I will see you... At the top of the charts, the podcast charts, like Beyonce. Forget it. You know what I'm saying? Hi. I know it's weird. You're still listening to Obscure. Jude the Obscure. where in chapter seven. A pollard willow stood close to the place, and that willow was different from all other willows in the world. Utter annihilation of the six days which must elapse before he could see her again as he had promised would have been his intensest wish if he had had only the week to live. So, I did, my own, I did my own little foreshadowing there, guys, because I, I talked about Hiroshima. And then look, and then look, only, only uh, words later, um, we're talking about utterly annihilating six of the seven days of the week just so that he could be with her again. If he only had seven days to live, he would knock off six of them just to get her there sooner. An hour and a half later, Arabella came along the same way with her two companions of the Saturday, the ones who she was with when she threw uh, pig innards at him. She passed unheedingly the scene of the kiss and the willow that marked it, though chattering freely on the subject to the other two. And what did he tell next? Then he said, and she related almost word for word some of his tenderest Speeches. If Jude had been behind the fence, he would have felt not a little surprised at learning how very few of his sayings and doings on the previous evening were private. Yeah, Arabella, it's like, don't kiss and tell. Don't be that Chick, don't be the one being all gossipy and whatever. Like Jude is pouring out his heart to you, and then the next morning you're just like, oh, and I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you that, and I'm going to tell you, <laughs> Arabella. Like, just like, calm down, calm down. Don't be that chick. Just be like chill about this, okay? Jude is right there for you. Like, don't spoil this with your nattering. You've got him to care for you a bit. Nay, you ya not murmured Annie judiciously. It's well to be you. So Hardy is basically saying, like, these girls just want to trap guys. Like, they just need to get married. And it almost doesn't matter who. And so Arabella just essentially picked this guy at random. And she got him to care for her. And she's telling her friends, like, yeah, like, like, I just, I basically tricked him into liking me. And now, like, we're together. In a few moments, Arabella replied in a curiously low, hungry tone of latent sensuousness. I've got him to care for me, yes, but I want him to more than care for me. I want him to have me, to marry me. I must have him. I can't do without him. He's the sort of man I long for. I shall go mad if I can't give myself to him altogether. I felt I should when I first saw him. Okay. So now I'm actually feeling a little bit better about Arabella. She's basically saying, I want to fuck him. Like, I really, I need to fuck him. And she's saying, I just want to like, I just want to like get with him the way, you know, I guess Ariana Grande is getting with Pete Davidson. And good for both of them. As he is a romancing, straightforward, honest chap, he's to be had. And as a husband, if you set about catching him in the right way. So again you know, they're talking about catching him and, and trapping and, you know, hunting and, you know, it's gross. Arabella remained thinking a while. What may be the right way, she asked. Oh, you don't know. You don't, said Sarah, the third girl. On my word, I don't. No further, that is, than by plain courting and taking care he don't go too far. The third girl looked at the second she don't know. Tis clear she don't, said Annie. And so we're learning something here about Arabella. We're learning a little something that Arabella, who plays the fast girl, is in fact perhaps a bit naive. And her friends, Sarah and Annie, are are looking at each other uh, in disbelief saying, oh, Arabella uh, doesn't know how you go about doing the thing. We're getting the guy and, and getting married. And Arabella's saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I just thought I courted the guy. I made sure he didn't like stick his finger in my pants. And the next thing you know, we're getting married and she's going, I don't know. I like, what else am I supposed to do? And the third, and they're like, and they're like laughing at her. Like, oh, she, she, uh, she, like, she doesn't know. And everybody's like, oh, Arabella, you idiot. And having lived in a town, too, as one may say, well, we can teach ye some at them, as well as you us. Yes, and how do you mean a sure way to gain a man? Take me for an innocent and have done with it. She's saying, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And her friend is going, as a husband. A countryman that's honorable and serious-minded, such as he... God forbid that I should say a soldier or sailor or commercial gent from the towns or any of them that be slippery with poor women. I do no friend that harm. Well, such as he, of course. Arabella's companions looked at each other and turning up their eyes in drollery began smirking. Like I honestly, I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, what are they talking about? What are they saying? Like, I have no idea what they're talking. They're like looking at each other and laughing and like, oh, she doesn't know anything. She's so stupid. And I'm going like, yeah, I guess I don't know anything either because I'm stupid. Like, what is she supposed to do? Then one went up close to Arabella and although nobody was near, imparted some information in a low tone, the other observing curiously the effect upon Arabella. "'Ah,' said the last-named slowly. "'I own I didn't think of it that way. "'But suppose he isn't honourable. "'A woman better not have tried it. "'Nothing venture no—' "'Oh, I—' "'Oh, gosh, is that what they're saying? "'Nothing venture, nothing have. "'Besides, you make sure that he's honourable before you begin. "'You'd be safe enough with yours. "'I wish I had the chance.' Lots of girls do it. Or do you think they'd get married at all? Arabella pursued her way in silent thought. I'll try it, she whispered, but not to them. So I think what they're saying, if I'm reading between the lines here, I think what they're saying is Arabella, get yourself preggers. If he's honorable and you say he is, he will have to marry you. If you hold out, he may lose interest. If you don't give it up, he may be like, yeah, I'm going to move on. But if you figure out a way. To get yourself all knocked up with baby, he will have no choice but to marry you and you will have what you want. A husband and you will have him in the way that you described that you want him. So they're putting terrible thoughts into Arabella's head and Arabella's saying, yeah, I'm going to go for it. All right. uh, Before we move on to Chapter 8, I mentioned earlier that my own Arabella, no, that's not fair. She's not my Arabella. She's, 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 she's my great love. And our relationship is based on love and not on entrapment. But this is my wife, Martha. Uh, she knew me for much longer before we decided to get married. And I can't help but wonder what she makes of this whole rushed courtship, especially since she's the reason why I'm reading this Fakata book in the first place. Anyway, I invited her into the Sanctum, the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, for a little convo. So here again, my esteemed Martha. Oh my God. <laughs> this is literally... Such a mistake to have you on this podcast. I'm saying less direct than Arabella who threw pig guts at him. Oh, I see. I'm not saying less direct than each other. I see. I was maybe slightly more direct than you in that I initiated conversation, but I wasn't being overtly flirty. No. We were working at MTV together and I was basically just walking by your desk and trying to be friendly.
1: Wait, are you saying she was being direct? By throwing pig guts at him?
2: Yeah. I don't know how much more direct you can be than that. She thought he was cute. He was walking along. She was with her two besties. She throws these pig guts as kind of like a joke, I guess. I see. But also like in a kind of flirty way. And they hit him and he's like, what the hell? And then they start chit-chatting. Yeah. And what I'm saying is we were working at MTV and I threw nothing in your direction other than occasional attention and that seemed to work out.
1: I guess I was desperate for that occasional attention. Oh. <laughs> That's so sad. Not really. Not really. I wasn't. But maybe a little bit. Um, I guess I was receptive.
0: Right.
2: When would you say we fell in love?
1: Hmm. I have no idea.
2: Right. There was no thunderbolt moment for you.
1: No. No. Sorry.
2: <laughs> Did you ever fall in love with me?
1: Oh, well, that would be sad if I said no.
2: I know, but it would be funny.
1: Well, I just don't see how that's possible.
2: Well, a lot of people get into, into relationships that they don't really love each other. They're just... It becomes convenience or it becomes easier to stay in than to get out or. Well, I don't
1: remember. It was so long ago, Michael, <laughs> we're old.
2: I'm not old. You're oh. old. Um, I'm very young.
1: I'm sure somewhere along that first few months.
2: Yeah. I think it happened very quickly for me.
1: Well, yes, it did. I know that.
2: I fell in love with you very quickly. I know. And told you very quickly. Cause I
1: read your journal,
2: which is the worst, your which kernel. is the worst, literally the your worst kernel. thing you've ever done. <laughs> I I mean, you've done shitty things, and I probably should have broken up with you right then.
1: Uh, Yeah, I thought you were going to.
2: Why didn't I? I mean, that... Right. I kept... I used to keep a journal, and then I caught you reading it.
1: Yeah, it was fascinating.
2: And probably very underwhelming in a certain respect. Like, you were probably looking for secrets, none of which... You would have found.
1: Um, I was probably looking for some validation that you did like me.
2: I used to write it on a computer, on a word document, and then, like once a year or so, I would print it out and just save it. So, do you remember when you what you found? Yeah. What did it say? I don't want to go into that. Why? You can say it.
1: Oh, I, you just were your first impressions of when we probably. First, did it.
2: (laughs) It was that. It was about that. Yeah. That's uh, that's so out of character for me. And like that, I would write about sex.
1: Oh really? Out of
2: character. Yeah. I I mean, that feels very out of character for me.
1: It was it was like your first impressions and um, how overwhelmed you were that I was very tall, (laughs) and and thin.
2: (laughs) Well, I remember very specifically just uh yeah being very taken with you physically
1: yeah and it was also oh it was interestingly it was also about because you were dating kind of somebody else and it was also about like you you're doing a little comparison shopping oh god.
2: i can't believe you read that a little I,
1: comparison shopping and 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 why you know i was a little bit riskier
2: mm-hmm.
1: a little bit riskier to your feelings like maybe you were going to get hurt more mm-hmm. um that has, well, pro-
2: that has proven itself to be true, even in this conversation. But,
1: but, <laughs> but I was also more interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. You were also more mature. I mean, the girl I was mature. dating at that point was was, was quite young. She yeah. was like, I was 23. I think she was 19 or 20. And you were 25. And you had had like a lot of life experiences that she hadn't had. And yeah, she felt very naive. And I just felt like, oh God, like I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just past this point in my life. But here's this cool, interesting woman who, yeah, is a little bit riskier in the sense that she could be trouble for me uh, because she's not, (laughs) she's, she's, she could be quite candid about things and, uh, and that could be bad. And, and yeah. And then,
1: no, I, and I think you were worried that I was too cool and like, wasn't gonna cool, cool in the sense of, right. But not not a, in terms of
2: being fashionable and trendy, but in no. terms of your temperament. Yes. Well, that's right.
1: And then I wasn't going to give you enough of what you needed. That's right. Which I don't.
2: That's right. Well, we were just talking about this. We were just talking about before we started recording Are about we vulnerability.
1: about the book now? Or? It
2: doesn't matter. But we were just talking, you and I, about vulnerability and how hard it is for what well, we were talking specifically about performers and creative people to kind of put themselves out there and how a lot of them, myself included, need some sort of external validation from people to feel like They're not just making total fools of themselves. And you were saying, yeah, well, don't come to me for that. (laughs)
1: Because I don't feel like that's my job. (laughs) Even for me? Well, I mean, everybody's job as a partner is to support each other, but I don't feel like my job is to validate your career. I feel like my job is to validate you as a person, but... It's that's not what it ever comes down to with actors. It's it's did they like me? Are you sure they liked me? What if they didn't like me? And I feel like that's not my job to like fix that problem for you.
2: Right. Well, that's the problem. Like you can't fix that problem for anybody. Essentially, Arabella in this relationship is the one who is looking for that validation. Arabella's the one, basically, so I- I- I excited by the idea of somebody liking her that she's kind of willing to do anything to make somebody validate her in her entire life with with Jude her everything that we've seen up to this point is kind of a performance and Jude is an audience member going yeah the show's great I love it I love it but you know I suspect it won't be enough all right my dear wife
1: so are we done
2: I guess we're done I mean
1: is there something else you wanted out of this and, and by this, I mean just the whole this. This marriage? <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. So much more. That was my wife, Martha. I'm Michael Ian Black. This is Obscure. We will resume in a moment. A quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster. Distractions like, I don't know. Our current president, I mean, that's not a distraction, that's a disaster, but I digress. A good night's sleep can help you prevent burnout, make better decisions, improve your memory, and overall make fewer mistakes. It is not marketing, guys. This is science. Science! Remember when people believed in science? Oh, that was a good time. Anyhow. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. How many is that, Michael? I will tell you. That's more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. Lisa strives to leave the world better than they found it, but that's That doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell, and they are committed to planting one million trees by 2025. So really, Lisa is saying that not only do they make a superior mattress, which I can tell you they do you will sleep even better because you've given your money to a company that believes in giving back. You might even say they give back so you can sleep better on your back. I I just came up came up with that and it is super clever and I'm going to trademark that. Don't miss these summer savings. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash obscure. That's lisa.com slash obscure for $160 off Lisa, a better place to sleep. Welcome back to obscure. It's all, it's all about love and relationships this week. Uh, my wife and I, Pete Davidson, and Ariana Grande. Because look, if you're going to go Grande, you might as well go Grande. And most importantly, Jude and Arabella. Let's get back to the book. We are starting chapter eight. One week's end, Jude was as usual walking out to his aunts at Marygreen from his lodging in Alfredston, a walk which now had large attractions for him quite other Than his desire to see his aged and morose relative. So wait, he's not living with her anymore? Did something happen? Are we, have we, have we skipped ahead in time or did I just forget? I don't know. He diverged to the right before ascending the hill with the single purpose of gaining on his way, a glimpse of Arabella that should not come into the reckoning of regular appointments. Before quite reaching the homestead, his alert eye perceived the top of her head moving quickly hither and thither over the garden hedge. Entering the gate, he found that three young, unfattened pigs had escaped from their sty by leaping clean over the top, and that she was endeavoring, unassisted, to drive them in through the door which she had set open. The lines of her countenance Changed from the rigidity of business to the softness of love when she saw Jude, and she bent her eyes languishingly upon him. The animals took advantage of the pause by doubling and bolting out of the way. Yes, all the pigs are being let out of their pens right now, aren't they, Mr. Hardy? Aren't they? All the pigs are getting set loose into the wilds where they will snuffle and snort to their heart's content, won't they, Mr. Hardy? Won't they? Her eyes are looking languishingly upon him. She is in the mode of seductress right now. And she says, they were only put in this morning, she cried, stimulated to pursue in spite of her lover's presence. They were drove from Spattleholt Farm only yesterday, where father bought them at a stiff price enough. They are wanting to get home again, the stupid toads. Will you shut the garden gate, dear, and help me to get him in? There are no men folk at home, only mother, and they'll be lost if we don't mind. He set himself to assist and dodged this way and that over the potato rows and the cabbages. Every now and then they ran together when he caught her for a moment and kissed her. The first pig was got back promptly the second with some difficulty, the third, a long-legged creature, was more obstinate and agile. He plunged through a hole in the garden hedge. And into the lane. So we've got three little piggies here. One with a house built of straw, and that was the first kiss. The second with a house built of wood, and that one was a little bit harder, with some difficulty it was obtained. And the third now, a long legged creature with its house of brick has escaped through a hole in the garden hedge. He'll be lost if I don't follow him, said she. Come along with me and no menfolk are around, and mother is in the house, and now they are chasing that wild pig, y'all. They are chasing that greasy, long-legged pig, and we know what pigs represent in Jude the Obscure, don't we? The pig farmer Arabella and her pig innards to lasso a man, and now the escaped pig leading Jude astray. She rushed in full pursuit out of of the garden, Jude alongside her, barely contriving to keep the fugitive in sight. Occasionally, they would shout to some boy to stop the animal, but he always wriggled past and ran on as before. Let me take your hand, darling, said Jude. You're getting out of breath. Yes, nothing helps the breath like taking one's hand. I know that when I'm exercising, hardcore exercising, what I need mostly is just to take somebody's hand and that revives all the oxygen, doesn't it? Once you have somebody's hand in yours through the power of oxygenic osmosis, a phrase I just invented, all the breath from your body leaves and enters your lover's and so she may breathe freely again. Uh, "'Let me take your hand, darling.' "'She gave him her now hot hand, we know it's hot, "'with apparent willingness, and they trotted along together.' This comes of driving them home, she remarked. They always know the way back if you do that. They ought to have been carted over. Right. So the pig is now trotting back home. The pig who has been sold to Arabella's father is trying to make its way back home and they are in hot pursuit, hands clasped together as they chase this pig by this time the pig had reached an unfastened gate admitting to the open down across which he sped with all the agility his little legs afforded a moment ago he was long-legged now he has little legs why didn't the editor catch that I prefer the long-legged pig. I I like that image of a long-legged pig, like a pig horse galloping along. But now he's just got the agility that his little legs afforded. As soon as the pursuers had entered and ascended to the top of the high ground, it became apparent that they would have to run all the way to the farmers if they wished to get at him. From this summit he could be seen as a minute speck following in unerring line towards his old home. It is no good, cried Arabella. He'll be there long before we get there. It don't matter now, we know he's not lost or stolen on the way. They'll see it as ours and send un back. Oh dear, how hot I be. And we knew this was coming, didn't we? Her hot little hand there trotting in pursuit after that greasy pig. And now, how hot I be. Without relinquishing her hold of Jude's hand, she swerved aside and flung herself down on the sod under a stunted thorn, precipitatedly "'pulling Jude onto his knees at the same time. "'Oh, I ask pardon. "'I nearly threw you down, didn't I? "'But I am so tired.' "'I mean, she's really making a spectacle of herself, Arabella. "'Isn't she? Guys, isn't she? Come on. "'Shameless. "'She lay supine and straight as an arrow.' on the sloping sod of this hilltop, gazing up into the blue miles of sky and still retaining her warm hold of Jude's hand. He reclined on his elbow near her. We've run all this way for nothing, she went on, her form heaving and falling in quick pants. Her face flushed. Her full red lips parted, and a fine dew of perspiration on her skin. Well, why don't you speak, dearie? I'm blown, too. It was all uphill. Jesus, Jude. I mean, Jude. Jude. I'm, I I have to take a moment to, to just talk to Jude. Jude. Like... My head is saying, get out of there, right? My head is saying, you're you're just, you're making a mess of yourself. My heart is saying, Jude, she's like throwing herself at you and you seem to be totally oblivious. Jude, I mean the red lips, the quick pants, the flushed face, the fine dew of perspiration. Well, why don't you speak, dearie? I'm blown too. It was all uphill. Like You got to do better than that, bro. Bro, you got to do better than that, right? I mean, where are your tender speeches now? Where are your words of love? Where are you know? You are so well read, Jude. You know, just pull something. You know, take some of that fancy Greek book learning you got and just throw it out. Didn't even matter what you say. She don't speak Greek. You know, just say something. Hey, you know, uh, you know, chicken souvlaki, and she'd be like, "Take me." They were in absolute solitude, the most apparent of all solitudes, that of empty surrounding space. Nobody could be nearer than a mile to them without their seeing him. They were, in fact, on one of the summits of the county, and the distant landscape around Christminster could be discerned from where they lay. But Jude did not think of that then, right? He could see Christminster in the distance. He can see his dream now fading in the distance and he doesn't even notice he doesn't even know that christminster is there still within sight still within reach still available to him if only he will keep it in his pants will jude keep it in his pants We'll have to find out next time as I close my Penguin Classics edition of Thomas Hardy's Jude the Obscure. We leave Jude and Arabella panting in the sunlight, the pig having returned to its home, but perhaps a new little piglet about to be made. Well, I've had a great time here at the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. I've enjoyed picking up the book again in reading to all of you and getting you hot and heavy as I assume you are with all this talk of pig chasing. I assume you are as bothered and bewitched as I am. What will happen? We'll find out next time on Obscure. Until then, I am Michael Ian Black, and I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. To subscribe and get more information, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.